Biden Pairs New York City headquarters. I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Tim McCurdy. And I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. Oh, hello, Tim. He's back. Yeah, yeah. By popular demand. Uh, I don't know if it was popular or just that Joanna still could, couldn't make this recording. <laughs> Welcome to the Ring Club. Thank you. Yeah, yeah congrats. Nice. Feel weird or are you used to it? Yeah. It is actually weird, just the physical feeling That's of I mean. having That's a ring on. I mean. yeah, 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 yeah. And also then, you know, when you're doing dishes and stuff, I'll take it off, I'll put it in my pocket, and I'll get to the end of the day, I'll be like, where the hell is my ring? But yes, thank you very much. You know, the first few weeks that I had mine on, I kept thinking it was going to, like, fall off when I washed my hands or, like, when I, like, we, we went immediately to our honeymoon and we went to Greece. And so, like, when I jumped in the water, I was like, oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come off in the ocean. Like, you kind of have those mistakes. And then I, like, I mean, those, those panic times. And then I just, like, never mm-hmm. really, because that I'd never play with it. I never take it off. Because, yeah. like, I also don't want the, the wrath if I take it off and, it, and I lose it. Well, you know, the company told me that, that we bought them from um, that you're, hands kind of swell a little bit in summer and they they shrink in winter so uh maybe winter is the dangerous time huh yeah i was gonna say the good news for me is i've gained enough weight since i got married that the ring doesn't come off as easily so you know (laughs) it's not going anywhere not unless i really work at it oh anyhow (laughs) welcome to welcome to married man chat yeah just whatever we're tuned in for well so tim because you are our guest host this week why don't you start with what you've been drinking all right, then. This is a tough one for me in terms of what I want to highlight because uh, we're pretty much in a quite heavy review season on the spirit side here at Vine Pair. Um, last week, our best Scotch whiskeys roundup went up for 2023. And this week, today, actually, our best cognac roundup is going to go up. And cognac for me is one of those spirits that I don't tend to drink a lot of. I have some at home. It's not yeah. really the first age thing or neat spirit I gravitate towards. But then I'm reminded when we do these tastings of how amazing it is and how amazing it can be. This year, I discovered a new producer. It was sent by the people at uh, La Maison and Velier. I'm probably butchering that. But I think you actually nailed it. Yeah. Uh, Jan Warren, shout out to him. He is a he's a wonderful person when it comes to sniffing out good spirits and not the only one there. But it's a brand called Through the Grapevine. And it's kind of this modern approach that you see to uh, selling spirit, spirits as a, a brand where they will go to producers, they will identify small batches that they yeah. want, and then they will bottle that and sell it. Uh, they had three particular expressions that I loved. You can check out which one made it uh, into the into the roundup on the site. But last thing I'll say on that is for cognac, when it gets some real age and it tends into this weird tropical territory, yeah. if that's happening, I'm sold and that's all I want to drink. So all three of them were like that rather than too oaky and rich and decadent. Yeah, yeah. They're like... Tropical fruit, bright, energetic, a ton of age on them, but still alive. So, yeah, that was a great one through the grapevine. That's cool. Uh, is, is, is cognac as a category it's still pretty expensive, at, or do you, do you think there is accessible cognac that you tasted? Um, like to have really good cognac, do you have to spend on it? You gotta, you gotta get spendy. Yeah, I personally wouldn't spend less than 50 bucks at least on a bottle. I think you really. I think the sweet spot is like seventy to ninety-five. Wow, okay. That's where you're. That's where you're at. Again, it depends what you're looking for and what you're going to use it for. The other thing I wanted to say, actually, that I was just reminded of that I was chatting with Zach about earlier, actually, is that 
Cognac is the only aged spirit that I will happily drink at 40% ABV. It does really well, uh, whereas if it's scotch or bourbon or anything else, I'm just like, where's the rest of my spirit gone? (laughs) Amazing. Interesting. Zach, what about you? Well, you know, I think one of the highlights for me was actually a bottle of wine I brought here with me to New York. Um, I brought some some wines from Washington to share with mostly with Keith, but uh, of course, everyone else here was was willing was uh, more than uh, welcome to give it a taste. Some folks did, and uh, the highlight for me was a bottle I actually brought out of <laughs> out of my own collection. It was which pretty was, amazing. I'll tell yeah, twenty thirteen. Uh, some uh, some days are stones. Uh, Syrah from uh, two vintners in in Washington, uh, wine made by a friend of mine. So it's always nice when you feel like you got a connection to the wine. And uh, from uh, a Stony Vine Vineyard in the Rocks District of Walla Walla, just like a, a you know, just Syrah as a variety has this capacity to do something that not a lot of other grape varieties have, which is to express. Uh, at the same time, in the same wine, sort of this really kind of meaty, gamey, umami, peppery note, while still being kind of at its heart a fruit-driven wine. And to me, when you can land that, and this wine I think does, it's really it's one of the pinnacles of wine to me. It's not the only one. I think there are other kinds of wine and, and styles of wine that I also love. But to me, Syrah is one of the few varieties that manages to do that specific thing. Mm-hmm. And this is, I think, a, a really good example of it. Um, so, yeah, that was a, a real highlight for me and, and a, a treat to get to share with uh, the folks here because, you know, you guys are a big part of my life, even if I don't necessarily get yeah, to spend yeah, yeah. very much physical time with you all. So it was nice to share share some wine. Of course. Of course. How about you, Adam? So, me. Uh, I did something a little, you know, crazy this weekend, and I went to the mountain. Ooh. Or where, where Keith lives. So, New Jersey, guys. But The Wachung. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's a hill. But, uh, but yeah, Keith lives in West Orange with uh, his wife, Gina, and they invited Naomi and uh, Esty and I for the weekend. So, we stayed with them. It was really lovely. Esty got to meet their cats. She's a big, big fan of the cats. Nice. Big fan of the cats giggled her face off um but also uh we got to open some really fun wine and i blinded keith on a few bottles uh which i thought was really fun and one of the wines that i blinded him on which was absolutely stellar uh was a bottle of 2015 Emilio pepe which was just fucking awesome multiple show to yeah uh, multiple multiple show to nice and the whole time he's tasting he's like Holy shit, this wine's amazing. Holy shit, this wine's amazing. He's like, it's definitely Italian, and it's also amazing. I was like, yes, it is amazing. And then, you know, came close, thought it was a Barbera. You know, yeah, I, see that. Um, I think also because Emidio is so different from the mass-produced, you know, multiple channel that we're used to, and it had been a very long time since I'd had any of those wines, because they are, I pulled it from my collection, it was like, you know, they're spendy. Yeah. Um, but it was it was a lot of fun to tr- drink, and then we had a champagne I love, Gaston Chiquet, which was absolutely delicious. And I was kind of shocked. I went to the wine library for the first time uh, in New Jersey. Not my favorite wine shop experience, to be honest. But they had a bottle of Gaston Chiquet for thirty seven dollars, which I was like, "What is that a mistake?" Thirty seven dollars, thirty seven dollars. I trust that you bought a case. I should have. I didn't. I sh- actually, now I think about it, we should send Keith back. Also, for folks listening who maybe aren't familiar, can you give some background on the wine library? The wine library is the wine shop that Gary Vaynerchuk's family owns. That is where he started his, like, fame. I guess is where he was making the videos on, you know, one of the first on YouTube. 
so I guess I just expected more. Like it's it's just like in a like not a shopping center. It's like it's a, it's a standalone building, but it's like this two floor building that like looks like you could go there to pay your taxes, <laughs> and then like you go in and there's just like boxes of wine everywhere. A lot of shit that hasn't been at all like categorized or stocked correctly. Downstairs is a little bit more organization, but like organization in the way of like it feels like a total wine. Okay. If that makes sense. Like just very high bookcases with just wine that's this boring. Like there's no it, and then you go upstairs and there's liquor. They have a lot of liquor behind glass cases. Lots of tater bait. Uh, also, they they have like that crazy Louis that's diamond encrusted that potentially people know if they watch the fall of the House of Usher. But they have uh, that actual cognac they have for sale, which is hilarious. And then you go all the way back and they have like the cold room. And the cold room is hilarious because, first of all, no one came to help us the entire time we were there. But also you go into the cold room and like... Some stuff is stocked. Some stuff is just in some wine cases. You, like, don't know how much it costs. And then there's, like, these wrought iron gates that are over these cellars, like, that they've clearly faked, like, a wine cellar in Europe with massive chains and padlocks around the gates. And it's, like, if you want anything behind the chain, like, the the padlocks, come find somebody. And you think, like, okay, that makes sense if, you know – all the wines were multi-hundred dollar, thousand dollar bottles. But, like, some of them were, like, 60 bucks. And you're like, this wine's behind the padlock gate? Like, what is going does on? Does it also, does it have kind of, like, like Da Vinci Code vibes where you feel like yes. you have to solve a riddle to yes. get someone to, like, open it yes. for you? Yeah, okay. And, like, you can also tell, which is very different than, New- which is what I'm not used to seeing in Manhattan and Brooklyn wine shops, just because they don't have the space. Yeah. Is you can tell that there are some wines that are, so this must be, a, the she can't, this must be the deal, where they have taken massive case drops. Yeah. Probably got a massive deal on it, passing some of the savings on. But like, it's just like, whoa! You can see where they've taken their their swings. But I was pretty blown away by that price. And then we also got a really nice uh, Barolo from one of my favorite favorite uh, producer. I mean, sorry, Barbaresco from one of my favorite producers, Chigliuti, okay, which was delicious. Um, and we also drank a Rousson. so it was fun over the course of like the evening. It was it, that was a, that was a great time. But yeah, anyways, uh, getting into the topic. So one of the things that, and one of the the reasons I'm excited that Tim is with us today. Uh, one of the things that I'm really starting to notice a lot is that at a lot of cocktail bars I've gone to recently, they have the classics as their sort of core menu, right? So they 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 do a martini, they do a Negroni, they do a daiquiri, they do a Cosmo, but they're infusing these drinks with flavors rather than making these drinks with spirits that you may or may not be familiar with. So, for example, instead of, like, on their menu, having their old-fashioned be a rum old-fashioned, right, or an old-fashioned even made with, like, single malt scotch, their old-fashioned is still a whiskey old-fashioned. So not, not sorry, not whiskey, because scotch is whiskey. It's, like, a bourbon old-fashioned, but then infused with, like, pineapple. Or they're making a place that I went to recently that I talked about on the podcast, Room for Improvement in Portland, is doing a Negroni, but infusing Campari with banana. And I find it really interesting, and I want, like, just as a thought starter, like, do we think this is an, is this innovative, Tim? Are you seeing this more? Like, what are we to make of this? And, like, is this kind of just now, like, is this a trend? Am I seeing a trend? Or, like, is this just something that I... 
I think it's definitely more than coincidence. I think this is definitely happening. Um, I'm trying to think of the last cocktail bar I went to. It's been a little while, actually, which is is, is not normal for me. But um, I've definitely seen that creeping in. And I would venture that the reason we might be seeing this is because of the pandemic, as so many things are these days. There was this movement that we've talked about a lot for people making cocktails at home and particularly focusing on the classics, learning how to do martinis, Manhattans, old fashions, all of that. So when people return to bars, I think there was this idea, or I spoke with a lot of people in the industry who said that people would be looking for the classics. But then I think this is an evolution of that. Okay, you've mastered the classics at home. You've been drinking martinis for the past two years or old-fashioned for the past two years. Let's give you an old-fashioned, but let's tweak it. And I think an easy way to do that is by doing these infusions, like you say. And also, they're delicious cocktails, right? It works. And it's not over the top. It doesn't require expensive equipment or, you know, crazy techniques that take a long time. Well, and I think, you know, to to kind of elaborate on that point, I think, you know, we talked a lot about in the sort of early to mid-tier of the pandemic about, like, what would bring people back to bars, right? Mm-hmm. And at first we were like, okay, well, one thing that's going to bring people back to bars is just wanting to be in a fucking bar. Yeah. And part of what would bring people back is showmanship and the kind of performative element of bartending. And we have certainly seen that over the last couple of years. But the thing that we were sort of talking about is will people be satisfied with drinks being sold to them at, you know, current cocktail prices that were essentially drinks that they could make at home and had been making at home. And obviously we've seen that a lot of bars don't think so. And the the one way you can get – or a couple ways you can get around that is one is what Adam was describing as maybe what was happening pre-pandemic, which was a lot of like it's a riff on this, right? We've changed out one of the ingredients for something similar-ish but different that maybe you're not as familiar with. And whether that – and that's certainly still going on in some bars. But I think it's interesting that we've come back full circle in a way to infusions, which I think maybe had gotten to a point of feeling a little gimmicky in a lot Mm -hmm. of cases, right? The like, oh, you've infused blueberries into your gin or you've infused cinnamon into your, you know, whiskey or whatever, right? Like, okay, cool. And interestingly, whether it's technique improvement or just a cyclical nature of all these things, that we've come to this space where bars are saying, I think, intuitively or, or you know, kind of intentionally, we understand that a thing that we can do as a bar that the individual home bartender, even a fairly aspirational one, either can't do or won't do is spend the amount of time to get an infusion right. Because, yes, you can throw – ingredients into a spirit at home and get something that's you know pretty good it's kind of like syrups right it's the same kind of thing making a a passable syrup is not that hard right yeah. if you have sugar and water and the ingredient you can get it all right but dialing it in to the degree of precision that like you know when i listen to cocktail college and you have people walk you through the uh you know the cocktails that call for these kinds of specialty syrups and it's like such a precise thing and you can tell that these bartenders have spent a ton of time perfecting the recipe, time that you know even the three of us are not ever no. going to spend at home. No. And mo- almost every drinker is not going to spend at home. And that bars have recognized, okay, here is a way for us to showcase this capacity we have to do this, to, to make these ingredients, to bring them to bear on a cocktail, and to do it not in a totally 
new novel drink that people may not understand how to approach, but to say, ah, we know you love a Negroni. We know you love an old fashioned. We know you love a daiquiri. But let us do this in a way that is familiar, has a lot of the flavor notes that you're going to recognize, but with a twist and a twist that we don't think you can put on the drink at home and we think you will be content to pay for. Because I think that's a big part of it, right, is how do you make someone swallow, maybe not literally, but <laughs> you know, sort of figuratively, a $20, $22 cocktail? And one of the ways is do something for them that they cannot or will not do for themselves. Can I be honest, though? When are you ever not? Hot take. Yes. I think often they suck. Infusions? Yes. I think that often – I think that the reason that – part of why I want to talk about this is there's a lot of places that are, you know, starting to think that that they're being original by covering it and stuff now. Um, But I think that often, like, they actually suck. And the, the banana Negroni I had at Room for Improvement was good. But I think that often it's people trying to do a little bit too much. Like when also – like and where it really pisses me off, and I think I've learned this as well from Cocktail College, is where they're doing stuff that someone else that – that an actual large company already makes much better. Mm. So, you know, for example, the people that are infusing coconut in their rum, fuck off. Like there, are, there. I'm sorry. There are coconut rums. People who are infusing pineapple. I'm sorry. Have you, you know, say what you want, but Plantation makes a great pineapple rum. They sure Delicious. do. Like what? What are you doing? It's 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 trying to. It's like it's almost being cute to be cute. Yeah. Like stop it. And then I will also say, th- at Room for Improvement, there was it was one degree of sh- of shitty. It could have been very shitty very quickly, because I think. That the infusion into Campari is very hard, and it can be bitter and gross. And this seems, and I also think that the infusions are happening more weirdly into like liqueurs and amaros yeah. than they are into like vodka because because we think we're too cool for that. But like you're already messing with something that has a lot of flavor, and you're trying to lay in another flavor. And I think that that's what makes me nervous about this trend. Is that you have to be super fucking dialed in, which means you have to do so much R&D to get it right. And then you either need to be – if you're the one that knows how to do it, you need to be the person who's batching these every single day. Or you need to have truly taught your staff how to. Or you can be playing with absolute fire. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Here's where I think this trend begins. Please. Spicy tequila. Jalapeno uh, infused tequila, right? Spicy margaritas. Talk about playing with fire. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I think, and obviously, like, look, that is a technique that is now being done even down to dive bars, right? There's bars in my neighborhood that I definitely wouldn't trust the food and don't really trust the drinks yeah. either that are doing this. Um, but to your point, there are phenomenal spice tequilas out there that it's going to be the same every time, right? Because... Part of this is you're using fresh ingredients. And when you're using fresh ingredients, yeah, you can have a recipe. So maybe it's what? Two bananas. <laughs> two bananas for every bottle of Campari that you're using, right? But how ripe are the bananas? How right. big are they? Right. And so, I, I, look, that bar that you're talking about may be so dialed in that they're actually using doing by weight rather yeah, than yeah. unit quantities. So probably that helps. But I find it also interesting that this trend has 
already made it onto TikTok. Yes. Uh, especially the Campari infusions with banana. I think you're, you know, I know you love uh, Thirsty Whale. Don't fucking put that on my name, man. You I, love Thirsty absolutely Whale. Absolutely not. You love the big knife he uses to, no. to, to hack down his no, ice. No, I don't. And I don't like his whole, like, squeeze your own citrus or I'm going to. And then it's like his weird little, <laughs> like, shtick. insult, his shtick. <laughs> no, I mean, I get that you got to do a shtick when you're on social and you're yeah. just an influencer. But, like, no, I'm not. Don't put that on my name. Well, I think also part of the reason that you loved that cocktail up in Portland, Maine, was because the ice program. But you know that's been covered. Program. That's been covered in a different episode yes, by you guys. You are right, though, that it is happening a lot on TikTok. It is, yeah. Well, and I wonder too if this is like feeding into this broader trend that goes even beyond cocktails of like flavor blasting everything, right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that to me is the other interesting part of this, which is like you know I take your point and I agree with you, Adam, that. Any infusion, it, it, both of you really, any, any infusion is a delicate thing. And when you're working with fresh ingredient, it you have to be very careful. You have to know what you're doing. But I almost wonder if in some of these cases, maybe not the example in, in Portland that you're describing, Anna, but in a lot of these other ones, if like there's almost a like we don't really give a shit because in the same way that there's an audience for the spicy as you can take it, Marg, there's an audience for a maybe like as banana-y as you can take it, Negroni or whatever. And like we just are in this space not just in drinks but in in cuisine in general where there's a a strong move in certain camps to kind of like we said like flavor blast everything right like amp it up familiar flavors things that people like things that people are going to resonate with and if we can put that in whatever packaging whether it's you know the newest flavor of dorito or whether it's a classic cocktail i think there is an audience for that and whether audience is truly the kind of person who's going to go sit down at a craft cocktail bar and order a 22 dollar cocktail or whether it's kind of person who's going to see something on tiktok and go buy a bottle of campari and three bananas and try and do their own shit i don't know but i do think that there is an audience for this that's more in it for the novelty Mm -hmm. and the like can you believe I did this or I tried this and isn't as concerned, unfortunately, about proper execution of a drink? And, you know, look, if that's a self-contained thing that is a trend on TikTok and then does its trending on TikTok thing and then dies off, you know, whatever, you know, that some bananas got wasted. That's probably not the end of the world. But I think it, it is interesting to see how bars will finesse this and manage this because I think there is real space here. And, mm-hmm. and as we we're saying, a real reason why really great cocktail programs might look at these kinds of infusions as you know the degree of difficulty maybe almost makes it more appealing in a certain way right because if you can land it you can do a thing that again as i said not only can the person not do at home but maybe the bar down the street or the other great cocktail bar in your community can't do or isn't doing and that is a again you know all if you think of all these places trying to pitch themselves to potential drinkers we do this thing better than anyone else in our community, maybe anyone else in our region. Yeah. That's a if you're the kind of person who's like, man, nothing has ever called out to me the way a banana dac or sorry, a banana negroni has ever called out to me. Like, I don't know, maybe you get in your car and you drive to Portland, Maine for a banana negroni. I don't mean maybe not Adam Teeter, but you know, maybe some I other person. Mm-hmm. But I mean look, I think also we're talking about flavor blasting. You know, the, the biggest thing, the biggest I feel thing. Like we need a sound effect to go with that. Bear, bear, bear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Flavor. <laughs> and it's just Guy Fieri. So anyways, I think that, you know, one of the biggest misconceptions of the last uh, half decade and something that is starting to be, um, you know, proven with data is that Gen Z doesn't drink. It's a massive misconception and lots of data is starting to prove that that's wrong. And 
um, you know, Good Beer Hunting actually put out a, a study recently that was very good. Congrats, guys. Um, about this, and one of the thing, one of the key points in their study is that they said one of the reasons that it's sort of mistaken is that Gen Z is looking for flavor. Yeah, they're looking for flavor, and so the brands that they are they are going for are these brands that have this kind of crazy flavor, and that's probably a product of their generation. I don't know if all these kids grew up just like I don't know eating gushers and shit. I don't know bubble. Ma- I, I don't know. Maybe maybe. The food, you know, they did grow. I mean, this is the generation, remember, that did grow up in the age of like the Taco Bell crazy collaborations with Doritos and things like that. Like for us, it was cool because we grew up just eating regular Taco Bell. So like, oh, that's cool. But like to them, the Doritos Locos Taco is the Dorito is the is the Taco Bell Taco. Yeah. Right. So they are into this stuff, and maybe you know, again, you have now Gen Z who are bartenders who are thinking about this as well, and. You know, I think a lot of the places where I'm seeing this, a lot of the bartenders are younger and they're playing with this stuff. And so I get that it's – that's why you might do it. I just – again, for me, like the bitter note of the Campari sometimes with this with the sweet they try to play with fails. Mm-hmm. But then again, like other times it is really awesome. You know, I mean I, I do I do really like some kind of like flavored old-fashioned sometimes. They're pretty cool. Um, never had a flavored Manhattan. No. I feel like that would fail. Cherry. I think cherry might work. That would be with, good, with rye, or if you're using a very good rye whiskey, it's going to have those notes in it inherently. And to be fair, like I, th- talking about a place that I think does a good Manhattan, um, the steakhouse that now I just Hawksmore. Hawksmore does a really good ch- sour cherry Negroni. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are doing it with the Negroni, which I think is interesting. Here, well, a because it the, and the daiquiri because the Negroni is a boring drink normally. Anyway. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, we know you feel that way. Also, <laughs> I like this trend though. In terms of, if you give me the option between looking at a cocktail menu and having the ingredients listed in some bullshit name that a bartender came up with, or maybe yeah. it's a great name, right? Maybe whatever, but a proprietary creation. Yeah. And I don't, I don't have any information on how the drink is made and how it's served. Then I, I don't know. Unless I can easily speak to the bartender or yeah, a server, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to order it. I'm just going to go with what I know because I don't. maybe I don't want a highball or something served on crushed ice. But if I already know what the classic cocktail is that's being riffed on, then, I'll, then I can objectively say, would I like to try a banana Negroni? Sure. Why not? What about a banana martini? I'll fuck with that. <laughs> oh, really? No. Yeah. <laughs> Was, is there any martini flavor you would fuck with? Um... And not like the traditional, like lemon martini. Okay, come on, we know that, but like, let's go a little weird. Well, I do like to. Um, speaking of uh, Portland, because this was uh, a little thing from the folks at Death and Co. taught me, and I believe some of them live up there. But um, I do occasionally like to do a little half ounce of eau de vie, apricot eau de vie, in my martini, just to give it a little, you know, like a, the second martini of the night, put a little pep in its step with uh, some nice brandy. Really? All right. Ready for me to blow your mind? What? Uh-oh. A spicy martini. No, I'm not It's coming. Spicy, though. I don't like it's spicy. Coming. It's coming. I know. What, you, no, you, you don't you, like you spicy. Th- you think like spicy like sp- like pepper or you think spi- – like sorry, like like fresh peppers? Capsicum. Or you think spicy like peppercorn? Por que no los dos? Why not both? <laughs> I will say this. One of the um, – When that happens, of, I'm done. One of the weirder <laughs> gins I've enjoyed in the past two years was from Citadel. Vive le cornichon. It's a cornichon infused Yeah, that's gin, delicious. And it's delicious, and you make a Gibson with that. That I would like. Slaps is the uh, Gen Z that we're, that we're <laughs> doing survey data rather than behavioral data with, and that's why we're coming out with these bad 
you know, uh, insights as to Gen Z aren't drinking. Also, I wanted to add to your point, though. You said about flavor. Gen yeah. Z is looking for flavor. I don't think that's specific to Gen Z that's as everybody. a generation. It's more like the first time you get into drinking, having bold flavors helps, right? Yeah. Why do you think people like Fireball and right, Screwball? Right, right, right. You know, like that is just a part of getting into drinking. Then you get older and like myself and Zach here, you, you develop a nuanced palate. You're trying to say that you I know? don't have one? No, I'm just saying that Zach and I appreciate the finer things and we seek out nuance. And you're saying that I don't. No, I'm not. That's what it feels like. <laughs> just, Adam, I want to remind you, it was your idea to have Tim on this episode. Yeah, just a lot of lip. <laughs> he's a married man. He's feeling himself now. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Just like, he's like ready, stable he's at like, home. He's like ready to go. Big yeah. man on campus. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, let us know what you think. Hit us up at podcast.fineprint.com. Uh, let us know if you've had some really great infused cocktails that we should check out. If there's any other flavors. I kind of feel like, you know, the flavors we're talking about the most are tropical-esque. Mm-hmm. Um or spicy, but are there any other things? Like, I don't know. Has anyone ever done like a raw meat? Oh my god! Martini. <laughs> go with your steak. Wouldn't that be really weird? Uh, I want to leave a little gift for the listeners here. Okay, please. Or maybe not. You can decide. Uh, so we're what? We're in October now. Yeah. Um, still. If you fucking say pumpkin, I'm going to open the door of the studio <laughs> and you can leave. No. Not not the entire office. He's not fired. No, he's not fired, but he can never be on the podcast again. Well, I have and, – and actually, you both can taste this after the episode, and you can give your opinions on whether you think it's good or not. But so May is what? Seven months away? Yeah. Kentucky Derby. Yeah. Get yourself right now a bottle of bourbon. I recommend Elijah Craig for this, but you can get whatever you want. And put that into a different vessel and stuff the bottle with mint. How much? as much as you can fit in there pour the bourbon back in and you have the perfect base whiskey for your mint julep you might think do i need to store it in the refrigerator or anything like that no we have a bottle here in the office right now developing that i actually made on derby weekend here because we had leftover mint from some videos we were doing and we're like okay great let's see how it tastes Every now and again, I'll just go back there and I'll taste so it. And it's doesn't phenomenal. Like, doesn't like turn or anything. No, all the booze that's in there and the sugar, it's it's phenomenal. And so, do that now, folks. You got seven months to infuse it, and then all you've got to do after zone. that is just a little bit of simple, and you're good. You can you can literally sip that thing over ice, and it's great. But or you can use it to make a mint julep to do a really souped up mint julep. Wow! And I got to thank wow. um, Chef Wita from i believe brown foreman or she's a famous chef in kentucky she's got a couple books out she put me onto that tip so thank you chef Wita. wow tim with a real value add there at the end that there was go. great all right, redeemed himself well, guys i mean let's all go do that and uh zach i'll see you on friday but you'll be in seattle sounds great thanks so much for listening to the vine pair podcast the flagship podcast of the vine pair podcast network If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So... The Vine Pair Podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington, in Zach Jabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered, and produced by Zach. 
He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.